You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open God's Word to the Scripture readings this morning. Readings that come in connection with what we confess in Lord's Day 10. First of all, we'll read from Job chapter 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then. Everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked 
I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Let's also go to the New Testament, to another well-known passage, Romans 8, 28-39. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is He that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This morning we're looking at Lord's Day 10 of the Hatterberg Catechism. Here we confess from the Scriptures, What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that, leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by His providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love. For all creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they cannot so much as move. Beloved congregation of Christ Jesus, the Bible is a feast for the soul. That's what Ambrose said. Ambrose was a 4th century church father. The whole Bible is a feast for the soul. 
And at this feast, we find all sorts of dishes, including the delicious dish we find presented to us here in Lord's Day 10. The biblical teaching of God's providence is comfort food for hungry pilgrims. As we make our way through this broken world, which is not our home, God provides spiritual food to strengthen us, to encourage us, and to lead us onward. This food is sweet and rich, and feasting on it makes us realize that we're not alone on our pilgrimage. God is with us. And in fact, not only are we not alone, we're also upheld by God's fatherly hand. And so this morning, I preach to you God's Word as it's been summarized in the Catechism with this theme, Providence, Christian pilgrims are in good hands with God the Father. We'll consider what this means for our past, for our present, and also the future. It's fair to say that many of us are given to reminiscing about the past. We often think about years gone by and things that happened good and bad. Perhaps you lie in bed at night, can't sleep, and memories come rushing back at you. Perhaps there are memories that you cherish. Perhaps there are also memories that you wish you could forget. And maybe there are just some memories that are just there. In any case, what we do with those memories has a lot to do with what we confess in Lord's Day 10. This is especially the case with the memories we wish we could forget. Some of us have that. As we reflect on things we said and did, or things that others said and did, things that happened, we need to remember who our God is and what He was doing in the midst of all that. We confess from the Scriptures that He was there and He was actively involved. In answer 27... We say that when we speak about God's providence, we understand that to mean His almighty and ever-present power. Note those two words, ever-present. Those words point us not only to the present, ever-present, but also to the past. God is God, and His power does not change. And so when He upholds heaven and earth and all creatures today, we know that He did the same thing 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and long before that. He has always done so. When we confess that He governs everything so that nothing comes by chance, we confess that for today, but also for the past. God did not start being God yesterday or today. Moreover, He didn't start being your father yesterday. In other words, he has always been exercising his power in love for you. His fatherly hand has always been at work in your life. We find that truth clearly taught in Romans 8.28, well-known passage. Spirit says there, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. 
And when we think about the past, these words are extremely valuable. And everything that has happened in your past, everything, God was working for your good. Even the most terrible things that you wish you could forget, even those things which you thought were the work of the devil, God was working with those things to bring good to you someday. And you know, maybe the good hasn't come yet. Perhaps it will be some time before it does. And when it does come, maybe you won't even realize it. But God has given His promise. He was not sleeping when those bad things happened in the past. God doesn't take coffee breaks. He will take all things that happened in your past, good and bad, and make them good for you. Somehow, someday. Brothers and sisters, you must trust His promise and believe Him. Because of Christ and what He has done for you, God is your Father and He loves you. So today, when we reflect on the past, how do we do that? Well, we can take our cue from the 28th answer of the Catechism. We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity. We don't, when we don't understand why something happened, what, what, what's our tendency? I think our tendency is to be impatient. We're impatient with God because He hasn't told us why. He hasn't shown us. We want an answer and we want it now. And this is especially true when it comes to the adversities we've faced in the past. When this is us, we need to pay attention to those passages of Scripture which teach us to wait on God. For instance, in Psalm 38, David is being chastised by God. He cries out to Him, but God gives him no answer. Then in verse 15 of Psalm 38, David says, I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord, my God. He will wait on God. That's another way of saying that David will be patient until the answer comes. And so we also must be patient and wait on the Lord. And when there have been good times in our past, we reflect on those, we can be thankful. Thankful in prosperity. Deuteronomy 8, verse 10, we hear Moses speaking to the people of God. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord for the good land He has given you. Here the people look back at what God did for them in giving them the promised land and they praise Him and they thank Him for that. And so it is to be with God's people today as well. We look back over the years and we see clear evidences of the good that God has done for us. Naturally, we thank Him and we, we praise Him. And keeping that in mind, you can hardly imagine a Christian birthday or wedding or anniversary celebration that doesn't explicitly thank and praise God for blessings received. 
thankfulness and prosperity is just part of what we're all about as God's people. And that refers also to the prosperity, the blessings we've been given in the past. And so as we look back over our pilgrimage in years gone by, we need to see that we've been in good hands. God the Father has been there sustaining us and carrying us along, even though sometimes the picture has not always been clear to us. You know, the picture may not be clear, but the promise certainly is. You see, the problem is not that God was not there. The problem is that we have a hard time believing the promise that He is, that He was. And so, beloved, we pray. We pray for more grace and that God would help our unbelief, that we do believe and we embrace the beautiful promise that He has been our help in ages past. Let's now see also that He's our, our help for today in the present A few moments ago, we read that well-known passage from Job, the first chapter. You were reminded of how God allowed Satan to take everything away from Job. We also saw that God, prior to this, had been at work in Job's life. Verse 1 tells us right away, this man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Job was a believer. Believer in God's promises, lived in God's ways. So God was not out to destroy Job for his sins. God was not disciplining Job for something that he'd done wrong. Nevertheless, God worked through Satan to take everything away from Job. God was in control of what happened there. And he knew that all that happened to Job would ultimately be good for him. It would help Job and us later on to see God's power. Job's faith in God would become stronger through these trials. So Job's sons and daughters were taken away from him. All his animals were taken away and nearly all his servants were killed. One thing after another. Job was now a poor, lonely man. All he had left was a foolish talking wife and three so-called friends. Now, if Job's story happened today, if you'd read about it in the the Vancouver Sun, a lot of people in our society would, would read that story or would hear about it on the radio and they would say, poor guy. Look at all his bad luck. One thing after another. Hopefully his luck is going to turn around soon. But you know, is that what Job said? Did he say, man, I am so unlucky. I am having the worst day. That's not what we hear him saying. Instead, we hear him saying in verse 21, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave. And the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job knew that God was in control. And so in his present misery, Job could still praise God. 
Job knew that there was no such thing as bad luck. Instead, there is a sovereign God who actively upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and so governs them that all things come to us not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. You see where we're going with this, don't you? As we journey through this world on this pilgrimage, we recognize that this is our Father's world. He is the sovereign God, and He is not going to tolerate any competition, even from things that don't even really exist. Think of idols. He doesn't tolerate competition from idols. We all know that idols are not real. We know that there are no Baals and Asherah in reality. He also doesn't tolerate competition from luck or chance. Things, too, that are not real. They're only real in people's minds. So, as those who believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, we simply don't talk about luck or chance. God is sovereignly in control of everything. He is in control even of the mundane things, the little things, like the roll of a dice in a game or the shot that hit the crossbar. He is sovereign. Let's think about why we sometimes talk as if He isn't. You know, we do that when we use words like luck and lucky. If we use those words, we may not mean to. Probably don't even think about it. But when we use those words, we're giving credence to the existence of the, of the thing. Luck. Then we're saying, even if we don't mean to, that God is not in control. God is not sovereign. I'm sure we don't want to say that. I'm sure we don't want to give that impression to anyone around us that we believe that luck and chance are real things. So rather than talking about luck and chance, as Christian confessors, we speak about God's work in our lives, even with the mundane, like the hairs on our head, and those tiny birds, the sparrows, flitting around our backyard. Not one of them falls to the ground without His will. And in speaking like this, What do we do? We're bringing more glory to our sovereign Father in heaven. You know, I think we want to be here in this church. I think we want to be a missional people. Well, then in how we speak, let's always be clear that the Creator is in control. And by doing that, we help people to see that He is the great God of heaven and earth. The God who deserves our worship. The God who not only made everything in the past, but keeps it all going today as well. Today in the present, we need to believe that. And then we also need to talk and we need to act as those who do believe it. And God will use that. As we pray for Him to use that, He will use it. He will use it to bring more people to Himself. Worship the God who is worthy of our worship and praise.
You know, the sovereignty and providence of God is a, is a precious teaching of Scripture. We should guard it so carefully. Now, it's sad to say, but there are several popular Christian writers who would rob you of this doctrine. Today, there is a popular false teaching called open theism. Open theism is the logical and consistent conclusion to Arminianism. And basically, open theism teaches that God is not sovereign. Rather, open theists say that God makes room for man's free will. God reacts and God changes according to what man does. According to open theism, God does not know the future. And God does not ordain all that happens. There's a lot more to this teaching, but those are the important points. One of the theologians promoting this view is Clark Pinnock, a professor at the McMaster School of Divinity in Hamilton. I understand he's also spoken in our area several times. You know, Clark Pinnock is far from being alone. As I mentioned, there are also several popular writers who also promote this view, and they often do it in subtle ways. One of these writers is Philip Yancey. In one of his books, Yancey says that God's power is relentlessly dependent upon human choice. Yancey writes that, and here's a quote, Jesus reveals a God who comes in search of us, a God who makes room for our freedom, even when it costs the Son's life, a God who is vulnerable. Elsewhere in his books, you can read him talking about God taking risks. That's the language of open theism. And in his newest book on prayer, he writes of man and God working together to shape the future. Brothers and sisters, does any of this sound like what we confess from the Scriptures in Lord's Day 10? Another popular writer who believes in open theism is John Eldridge author of the popular book, Wild at Heart. In that book, he says things like, God is a person who takes immense risks. Again, that's the language of open theism. God's willingness to risk is just astounding. There is definitely something wild in the heart of God. Again, I ask you, does that sound like Lord's Day 10? And it's important to note brothers and sisters, that this is not a minor problem, something insignificant with writers like Eldridge and Yancey. But for both of them, their unscriptural view of God determines almost everything that they write. Open theism pervades their writings and it forms the foundation for what they teach. As well it should. I mean, we are talking about the doctrine of God. These authors... They're not trustworthy. They're not dependable. They're false teachers. The doctrine we confess in Lord's Day 10 is biblical. 
And for that reason alone, we need to cherish it and, and, and guard it. And not only is it biblical, it's also given to us as good news. After all, what comfort is there in believing that God is subject to luck, to risk, to chance, or so-called human freedom? Where is the good news with an emasculated God? What's so great about a God who loves you but has no power to help? What comfort is there in believing that God depends on anyone or anything else? Really, what comfort is there in believing what is not true? But there is comfort. For yesterday and for today, when we believe that the sovereign God is there, that He does care, and He is in control. That's comfort. For yesterday, for today, and also for the future. As believers, we don't have a guarantee of life on easy street. Even as those who believe in Christ, we will sometimes have hard times. This is taught in numerous places in the Bible, but perhaps nowhere more clearly than in the first chapter of James. In the second verse, James already speaks of this when he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, trials are, by definition, hard times. James points out that believers will face these. And when we do, there's a certain kind of attitude that we need to adopt. It's the attitude of Christ Himself as He traveled through this veil of tears. As Christ traveled through the valley of the shadow of death, as He suffered through His whole life, He counted it all joy. Not only that, but he also was patient and endured what God brought his way, knowing that it would be for good. As believers, we're called to bear our crosses as the Savior did. Now we read from Romans 8, 28-39. We could also have read uh, verse 17, which tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. As we face adversity in this life, Christ will dwell in us through His Spirit and He will conform us to His image. That includes sufferings, learning patience through trials and tests. James 1.3 says that you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. We also translate that last word as patience. So as we look to the future, we pray to God and we ask Him to develop in us perseverance and patience for the trials that we'll face. We pray that with the, the firm hope that going through these trials, one day we will share in the fullness and the abundance of Christ's glory. We also pray for God to develop thankfulness in us when He brings prosperity across our path. When we have prosperous times, as many of us do, we can't begin to think that we did it for ourselves, that we have a right to be proud of ourselves. As those who are in Christ, we'll want to be focusing all our attention on God and His glory, giving credit where credit is due. 
As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.17 and elsewhere, when he's drawing on the Old Testament, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so in our future, there is no room for glorying in human achievement. Only room for more praise to be given to the sovereign God of grace and power. And that's why Paul also tells the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 to give thanks always. Even in bad times, but especially in the good times. We should be giving thanks always. Praying to God. Thanking Him. And so, brothers and sisters, as you look ahead to this week and all the days that will come afterwards, be reminded, remind yourselves to always thank God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Last of all, we can also know and believe that for the future, because of Christ, God will keep on being our Father. Because of Christ and what He did, God will not stop having that relationship with us as a father does his child. Again, savor those beautiful words that we read from Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Absolutely nothing can separate you from your sovereign, loving Father. Nothing. That's God's promise to you for the future. You can take that promise to the bank. You can know that God will never break it. He didn't yesterday. He will not today. And He certainly will not tomorrow. Amen. Let us pray. O Yahweh, Sovereign Lord God, we praise You as the God who upholds and governs all things by Your providence. We praise You for the fact that You have always been our faithful Father. You still are today and always you will be. We thank you for the great love you have shown to us. We praise you as the God who knows our days, inside out and backwards. We ask you to protect your people from those who would take these truths away from us. We pray that you would give us more grace, that you would help us to believe the promises of your word for our past, present, and future. Pray that you would help us with your spirit to be assured that you work for good in all things for us. Help us to believe the promise of your word that nothing, nothing will ever separate us from your love for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We pray in his precious name. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.